Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Good on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Joining us now is uh, all the way from the uh, capital of the United States, uh, Jersey, um, Louis (laughs) Pecan. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for that very nice introduction. Sure, that's both are contributing to society. <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, you certainly. <clears throat> where does it start? Where does it? How did you get into writing these books about the presidents? First of all. Uh, well, for me, it started about uh, about ten years ago, uh, and at the time, I uh, I wasn't interested in the presidents at all. I did like history. Uh, and it, it started pretty innocently. Uh, I have two little boys. Uh, uh, my son Vincent is 13. My older, uh, my younger son Leonardo was nine. Uh, so at the time that my older son was a baby, we bought him a placemat with all of the presidents on it. I thought that it would be fun uh, for a little kid to eat his food with the placemat of the presidents. I didn't think much of it. Uh, and one of my brothers came to visit, and he had claimed that he could name all the presidents in order. And uh, I, I challenged him on it, and I looked at the placemat as he was doing it. And sure enough, he was able to name every president in order. And uh, at the time, I wasn't able to do that, and uh, it really struck me. Uh, it surprised me that my, uh, that my younger brother was able to do this, but it also really shocked me uh, that there was some of the people that were presidents that I'd never heard of before, uh, like Chester Arthur or Benjamin Harrison, two names that I really hadn't heard of before. Uh, so it really motivated me to learn more about the presidents. Uh, uh, so I started reading voraciously, and uh, I also uh, started visiting some sites. Uh, at about the same time, 
uh, again, my son was young, and uh, uh, we started taking road trips. I, uh, uh, my parents, I was struggling to come up with gifts to buy my parents, so I decided to take them on road trips around the country. Uh, so as you mentioned, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, so we took some local road trips a, a couple states over to Virginia and to Ohio, and uh, both states uh, happen to be the two most uh, popular states for presidential births. Uh, so just traveling to the states and, and visiting different sites, I started to gravitate towards presidential birthplaces. Uh, and I found some really interesting stories at these sites. Uh, and again, just uh, as a visitor, not as a writer, uh, but from going to the presidential birthplaces, it kind of dawned on me uh, that there wasn't any books written just about the presidential birthplaces. And I was looking for one just to help uh, uh, in my travels. And that's where I really started digging in uh, into the research. And it, it, again, it kind of dawned on me what a great book this would make. I started working on it. Uh, it took about four years to research and write. Uh, and then in 2012, that's when my first book was published, uh, which is Where the Presidents Were Born, The History and Preservation of the Presidential Birthplaces. Yeah, I, I, it's so, really, really interesting. I was going to say, too, uh, I visited your website, and that's uh, lewispecan.com. And um, you've got pictures. like you, So you can go to any of the presidents and click on a president. Uh, you, you, you should try that, Kevin. I, you'll have fun with this. So you can pick on, like, Thomas Jefferson, and up will come, uh, you know, where he was born. And you've also got this, his... Uh, Gravesite, and and we've got a picture of Lewis in there too. He's he's wearing shorts. He looks good in shorts. Been <laughs> <laughs> uh, a summer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I found that really interesting. I thought that was really kind of a, a cool idea for a, a website. I had no idea what to expect. Sounds kind of weird, but I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, did you find going to these places uh, changed you in some way, or did you? pick up something from the place where people were born or where they're buried now? Yeah, I definitely, I mean, in, I, I mean, many of these places I did tons of research before actually visiting, but I always found something more in being in the places. I get a lot out of just walking on the same grounds that presidents walked and uh, being in the same space that historic uh, uh, events have happened. Uh, and also, there's just all uh, I'll find out things when I'm there that just didn't come up in my research. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I mean to me, it's, uh, it's very important to be at the places as uh, uh, that these events happen, and especially for my writing, I think it makes it much richer. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of the pictures from my website are all uh, uh, photographs that I've taken or places that I've been to. Yeah. Uh, so they're all part of my personal travels. And it's a write-off too, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I'm <clears throat> I'm doing good today. Um, yeah. don't show. <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, on the, in some of the grave sets, I've been noticing um, people have actually attempted to rob some of the president's graves. Oh wow! Yeah. How does? Like, what are they looking for? Like, the body itself? Like, what, what's the big common goal for this? Yeah, I mean, there's been, been varied reasons. Uh, there was an attempted grave robbery uh, of George Washington's grave. Uh, actually, uh, an attempted skull robbery, uh, where a disgruntled gardener from Mount Vernon 
broke in to what's now called the old tomb of George Washington. It's not where he's buried now, but it was his previous tomb, which is also on the grounds. And he was a disgruntled gardener about 30 years after Washington had died, and Mount Vernon was owned by one of his descendants. Uh, so he was fired, uh, and he decided to get back at the, uh, at the owner at the time uh, and steal George Washington's skull. Uh, it turns out that the tomb was in such disarray uh, where there was other bodies uh, entombed <laughs> in the same uh, crypt that he stole a skull, but it wasn't George Washington's skull. <laughs> he got the uh, wrong one. <laughs> hey, he got the wrong skull. Uh, so they found him the next day. Uh, so in that instance, it was just uh, uh, revenge, I guess. Uh, years later, there was a plot to steal Abraham Lincoln's body. Uh, and that was carried out uh, by a gang from Chicago. Uh, and they had done it, or, or they had plotted this, uh, because their ace counterfeiter, a man named Benjamin Boyd, uh, had been uh, uh, arrested and put in prison. So this gang came up with a plot to steal Lincoln's body uh, and then hold it ransom for the release of their counterfeiter. Uh, and actually, the tomb at the time was uh, so unsecure uh, that it was, uh, uh, it was relatively easy to break into the Iron Gates. Uh, and they actually got the coffin about 15 inches out of the sarcophagus. Uh, but it turns out that a couple of people that were involved in the plot were also informants for the Secret Service. Uh, mm. So they were inside of the tomb, which is this grand uh, uh, Gilded Age sort of uh, tomb. Uh, so they were inside of it, uh, uh, robbing the coffin. Meanwhile, there was the Secret Service was in another uh, 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 room within the tomb, just waiting for the right moment to pounce on them, to arrest them. Uh, but if it wasn't for those uh, two people that were informants, there was a good chance that they might have gotten away with it. Wow. Uh, there was also a. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you, you say that it is so unsecure that they were able to break in, but who would imagine that you would want to actually break in and desecrate part of our history? And, you know, and, and that may sound naive uh, of me, but then again, I respect history. But wow, you know, you're going to break in and you're going to desecrate the grave of one of our ancestors. Yeah. At the time, it actually wasn't uh, that unbelievable because this was in the 1870s, and there was uh, a period where people were robbing graves for medical research uh, because uh, the practice of using cadavers was illegal. Uh, so doctors weren't doing it themselves, but they were getting other people to rob these graves and then, uh, and then uh, bring them the cadavers so they can use for research. Uh, so grave robbing definitely wasn't unheard of at the time. Uh, stealing a president's body, meanwhile, I mean, that was uh, uh, that was pretty unique. Yeah, that, I would say that. You know, I, I understand Washington's skull. I mean, you could put it on your table and put a candle on it. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. No, <laughs> but it's not like they had eBay in 1870. <laughs> yeah. yeah, by letter. <laughs> you know, $1,000 or best offer. Yeah. Well, didn't they try to transfuse the blood or something with lamb's blood on Washington or something? Yeah, yeah. After uh, after Washington died, just the the whole final days of Washington were pretty grueling as uh, as doctors had treated him. Uh, 
uh, uh, the first person to treat him was actually uh, a, a man that uh, wasn't a doctor, but he had treated uh, Washington slaves. And uh, one of the things that he was an expert was was bleeding. Uh, so, so over the next couple of days, Washington was bled immensely, uh, oh, and then he finally uh, uh, he succumbed to his throat infection and he died. Uh, so shortly after he died, uh, a couple hours later, another doctor appeared at the house. They had called several doctors, and it took them a while to actually get to Mount Vernon. Uh, so one doctor, a man named William Thornton, uh, had appeared at the house a couple of hours after Washington had already died. Uh, but he wasn't ready to give up, though, and he had suggested uh, that they do a tracheotomy on Washington, inflate his lungs artificially with air, and then to uh, transfuse him with the blood of a lamb uh, to bring him back to life, kind of like a Dr. Frankenstein type of uh, plan. Uh, hey. so this doctor, actually, uh, one thing that he's better known uh, uh, as is uh, an architect. And he was actually the architect for the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, so he uh, wasn't like a quack or anything. I, I don't know about his, uh, about his medical background, uh, but he did go on to, to fame as an architect. Hey, now, now we're all chuckling, but that doesn't sound like such a bad idea. I mean, it sounds like something we would actually try today. Well, this was 1799, so I don't. It was a different time, and definitely medical uh, uh, information wasn't quite as uh, as advanced as it is now. Yeah, because uh, I mentioned I mean, that Washington was bled. I mean, that was really the first uh, uh, line uh, of treatment uh, for for most of the presidents uh, that had died up until Zachary Taylor, who had died 1850. Almost every president was treated with bleeding. Uh, at some point uh, of their treatment. So there yeah, was but, kind of these like medieval types of practices of cupping and bleeding and blistering, uh, enemas as part of their treatment. Uh, <laughs> well, they still do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I do that just on my own. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, most of, most of what you just said, though, is stuff that we would do today, a tracheotomy, artificial in inflation, I mean, that to me sounds like life support systems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, except for the lamb's uh, blood, uh, blood and the bleeding. Uh, yeah, I guess there was some, uh, some advances uh, that are similar to today, uh, but a lot of the practices that were used were really uh, are considered medieval nowadays. Uh, uh, especially... Uh, later on, in particular with James Garfield and uh, and William McKinley, two presidents that were shot, uh, uh, Garfield 1881 and McKinley 1901, uh, sterilization practices weren't used. Uh, so doctors wouldn't, like now, would be the first thing they do is just wash their hands, uh, and they weren't doing that back then. And that's probably uh, uh, probably the reason that James Garfield had died, just from infection. Yeah, uh, yeah, he put his hands right in, didn't he, searching for the yeah. bullet? Yeah, yeah, many doctors did. The first doctors that treated him on the floor of the train station dug their hands into him looking for the bullet, and then every doctor that treated him would do the same thing. Uh, so uh, there's been modern uh, medical historians that have uh, uh, proposed that if the doctors didn't do anything, because Garfield was shot, if the doctors just left the bullet in there and let him go sleep it off, that he probably would have survived. It was more oh, of a wow. medical trauma that killed him. 
Wow. Yeah, we, we had Fred Rosen on who wrote that with uh, James Garfield's great-great-grandson about uh, they, they you know, put all their fingers in and were digging, and then they uh, tried to do the metal detection or something, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. They had uh, Alexander Graham Bell, right. who was a young inventor at the time. Uh, so he had invented a metal detector, uh, and twice he tried to use it on Garfield. Uh, to find the bullet, because the doctors were just obsessed with finding the bullet. That's the reason that they kept digging in him uh, with their hands, and, and, and for the most part, without amnesia, they do these uh, operations on him. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, without anesthesia. I said amnesia. Yeah. Uh, That's so, okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember <laughs> you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Garfield probably wished that he had amnesia when they were doing the operations on him. Yeah, it's just... Uh... But, uh... but yeah, so they uh, so they reached out to Alexander Graham Bell, a young uh, inventor at the time, to use his metal detector to try to find the bullet. Uh, twice it was unsuccessful. Uh, once, uh, or the first time, he believed that he was making some last minute uh, moderation or uh, uh, some last minute modifications uh, to the metal detector, and he thinks that's what ended up caused it to malfunction when he actually used it on Garfield. Uh, and the second time, it could have been. Uh, from metal coils in the mattress, which was a relatively new invention at the time that was just setting off the metal detector. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, both times. That's, that's a crazy story, that one. Um, okay, now, uh, Kevin, here's a tough one for you. Who was, uh, who was president for just one day? Oh, wow. Oh, you're not going to win this oh, one. Oh, I know I'm not. A shame. Ding, ding, where's Shane? Uh, <laughs> yeah, where's the Jeopardy music? <laughs> well, um, that's I David, don't know. David Rice Atchison. Atchison, yeah, yeah, Atchison, Kansas is named after him. So now, wh now why, why was he just in for one day? Like, what happened? I That's the part I didn't even know about till now. Well, maybe, maybe Trump fired him like Scaramucci. <laughs> Scaramucci lasted nine more days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, this is more, I, I put this in a section towards the end called Almost Presidents. Uh, part of it, I think there was just some fascinating stories about several individuals that had some claim to being president uh, of, uh, of the American territories. Uh, David Rice Atchison is uh, someone that is almost like mythology uh, a little bit, where he was president for one day. And the story is, uh, is when uh, Zachary Taylor uh, was inaugurated. Uh, he was supposed to be inaugurated on uh, uh, Sunday. He was supposed to be sworn in on a Sunday. Uh, but he was very devout, and he decided that he wanted to wait uh, until Monday. Uh, sure. So uh, I can uh, understand that. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, the line of succession uh, would have gone down. Uh, if, so during that day, uh, there are some people that argue that there was no president that day. Uh, and uh, so James K. Polk was leaving the office. Zachary Taylor was coming into the office. Uh, so the next line of succession would have been the vice president, but the vice president also didn't get sworn in on that Sunday. So he also waited to Monday. So then the next person in the line of succession the was the House, uh, House of Representatives. Yeah, it went to the uh, to the pro temper of the Senate, 
uh, at the time. I think that the that the lineage has changed since then. Uh, so, but most people uh, uh, believe that even without being sworn in, that Zachary Taylor was president. Uh, but still, it kind of makes for a fun little story. And uh, but uh, but David Rice Atchison is listed on the congressional website as, uh, as president for a day. Uh, and his grave in Plattsburgh, Missouri, uh, has a large plaque in front of it that reads "President for a Day." Uh, there's a large <laughs> statue of this town, uh, so the town really embraced it. Uh, 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 later in life, David Rice Atchison did too. He kind of joked around and he uh, said that uh, that he was up uh, up late the night before, so he slept most of the day of his one-day presidency. Uh, and he also called it the most honest administration in history. <laughs> well, yeah, you, 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 you're right. <laughs> you're yeah. right. Almost sounds like a lottery winner, you know. I can be president for a day. Yeah. What What would I do? You know, <laughs> sleep for the day for sounds day? good. Yeah, I'm going to sleep until when I want to wake up. Yeah. yeah. You can't do much damage that way. No. Yeah, better not. Um, now, conspiracy surrounding deaths. What what are some of the wildest conspiracies that you've heard? Uh, well, the one uh, that's uh, that's probably the most wild conspiracy, which is pretty interesting because today is the anniversary of his death, uh, uh, August second, uh, is Warren G. Harding. Uh, he had died. He had taken. Uh, he, he was campaigning for his next election. Uh, in 18, uh, so his 1824 election. He started to do some campaigning in 1823, and uh, what he so he took a train ride or a uh, journey throughout the country, and even went into Alaska, which is the first president that ever went into Alaskan territories. And he called it his voyage of understanding, where he was basically uh, speaking directly to the people, making stump speeches along the way, and doing photo ops in fields in Kansas and uh, and with local groups. Uh, so he had uh, uh, had some medical issues along the trip, uh, and even at one point he was on a boat coming from Alaska, uh, 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 and he had had like woke up in the middle of the night and had some crabs and butter, and he developed some pains after that that they thought had been related to the uh, to the midnight crabs. Uh, so he canceled some of his speeches on the West Coast and checked into a hotel, the Plaza Hotel in San Francisco. And uh, by all accounts, he was getting better uh, after a, a couple of days of rest. Uh, and, uh, and on August 2nd, his wife was reading to him from the newspapers. Uh, and all of a sudden, he had an attack. Uh, and then he recovered slightly. But then just moments later, he had another attack, and he died. Uh, so. Uh, right, so the country wasn't shocked. He was really generally healthy, although he had some medical issues on the trip. There was, was nothing that looked like it would have been fatal. Uh, uh, and right away, uh, there was some doubts about uh, who was in the uh, who was in the room at the time, what time he died, what was the uh, 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 what actually happened in the room uh, when he died. Uh, and there was a New York Times reporter that, like, the very next day started to notice these inconsistencies with all the people that were in the room with them and their different versions of the story. Uh, so there was uh, some, uh, some conspiracy theories uh, that his wife, Florence, had actually killed him. 
mm. that uh, that she knew about these brewing scandals like Teapot Dome, which came out after his death. Uh, he was having some liaisons with other women. Uh, so there was some uh, speculation. The, the hell you uh, say. Uh, there was even uh, some conjecture that maybe his doctor had killed him inadvertently. There was a man named Dr. Sawyer, which was his small-town doctor back, uh, back in Ohio, and he brought him to the White House with him. Uh, and he had been treating him with these uh, strange injections he was giving him, it was like these stimulants. Uh, and uh, later historians weren't able to really figure out exactly what was in those stimulants. Uh, but there was some uh, some speculation that maybe those stimulants are what ended up killing him. Oh. Uh, so there's been a lot of conspiracy theories uh, about uh, about what had killed him. Uh, even the cause of death has been doubted, whether it was a stroke or whether it was a heart attack. Uh, but I think as far as conspiracy theories, uh, probably Warren G. Harding does take the cake, although there have been several others too. And the cake now, is poisoned. <laughs> might have been poisoned, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, uh, and there was also uh, another one that there was speculation that he had died from arsenic poisoning uh, uh, was Zachary Taylor. Uh, Zachary Taylor had died uh, in July of uh, 1850, and uh, uh, what happened that was that he went to uh, a dedication at Washington Monument on July 4th, and he had some, uh, some unwashed cherries and some milk with ice, uh, and then after that, he got sick, and then he died several days later. Uh, so medical historians have also speculated on what exactly, what disease might have killed him. Uh, but uh, about 140 years later, uh, there was a woman that was doing research on Zachary Taylor for a biography. And uh, she had researched the symptoms of his death, and she believed that he died from arsenic poisoning. Uh, hmm. So she was... Uh, so convinced of the arsenic poisoning and also managed to convince the descendants of Zachary Taylor, uh, where in 1991 they exhumed his body uh, and they took fingernails and hair and they did some lab testing on it to see if he had died from arsenic poisoning. Cor correct. Uh, excuse me? And did no, I, no I, I was saying correct. Yeah. Uh, but what they found is that it wasn't a high level of arsenic in his uh uh, in his blood or in his uh, in his tissue, oh. so that had that theory. Oh, too bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I like a little bit of fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was I was now that's really interesting. I was noticing here that you um you spoke to at an international conference, uh, U.S. presidents and Russian rulers at the Russian Academy of Science in Moscow. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, that was, uh, it was uh, uh, an incredible experience. Uh, it had, I... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Was invited to speak there, uh, 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 my first book came out in 2012. My second book came out in 2016. So this was in between the two. I was invited uh, to speak at this conference, which took place last uh, uh, July, or I'm sorry, last June. Uh, so it was put on uh, by a Russian academic and a professor from Stanford University. Uh, and it was uh, uh, the uh, speakers that were invited were... Uh, were some of the best presidential historians in the country. Uh, there was uh, uh, professors from Yale and from Brown and from Harvard and from Cambridge in the UK. Uh, but what happened was the Russian academic was is also a fan of presidential sites. Uh, he's made several trips to the U.S. and he's visited many of the presidential birthplaces and many of the presidential graves and other homes and presidential libraries. And at one of these sites, he picked up my book. Uh, so when they were doing the invitations uh, for the speakers, he had specifically asked for me, for the author of Where the Presidents Were Born. Wow. That's, uh, pretty, that's, well, that's pretty, pretty... How did you like it? And how, how, was, how was Moscow? I think that's fascinating. That's yeah, it was 
a beautiful city. I can say everyone was really friendly there. Uh, uh, we spent uh, three days at the conference in Moscow. Uh, was, uh, 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 one of the things that I did when I was uh, I was interested in seeing. We didn't get too much time to tour around Moscow. Uh, but uh, I arrived one day early, so one of the things that I wanted to do was see Lenin's tomb. Uh, so I got to see that, and I got to see Red Square. Uh, and then after Moscow, uh, the whole group of us uh, took a train ride to St. Petersburg, and we got a three-day tour of St. Petersburg. Wow. Uh, it was really, it was a great experience. And just and getting to, uh, uh, to meet and speak with the other presidential historians was really fantastic, and uh, it was a very warm welcome uh, from everyone that we met in Russia. And we oh. also had uh, at the Hermitage Museum, and everyone was just very welcoming to us. Now, Al, what? do you realize what you've just done? I've uh, done, well, I've been in well, collusion with the now, Russians. Yes, yes. <laughs> now we're going to have to edit all of this out because now he's in collusion with the Russians. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, he wasn't working for Trump, so... Or were you? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Wow. Now, now, now I've, I've got a question, and, and this is going to sound a little bit sappy. When, when you were exploring the early presidents, was it, did you discover that they had all come from such humble beginnings? Like we, like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, you know, we have these grandiose ideas of who they are. But when you look at where they're born and where they grew up, I mean, was it, was it humble? Uh, you know, most of the early presidents weren't from humble beginnings. Uh, like George Washington, I think, I'm not sure where he ranks now, but I know recently he was still considered the richest president. Uh, now, a lot of that wealth was uh, gathered later in life, uh, but even where he was born, it was a relatively large plantation home. Uh, the home is no longer there. Uh, but, uh, but one thing that I found is that most of the early presidents, uh, which came from Virginia, uh, like Washington, Jefferson, uh, uh, Monroe and Madison, uh, they came from, I mean, they later gathered uh, a lot of wealth, but they came from, uh, from relatively modest beginnings. Uh, the first president that really uh, came from very poor beginnings was Andrew Jackson. Uh, he was the first born in a log cabin. Uh, his father had died just days before he was born. He was kind of shuffled between uh, different aunt and uncle's log cabins. And even his birthplace uh, isn't quite 100% known because it might have been at, at either one of his uh, aunt's homes. And one is on one side of the, of the North Carolina, South Carolina border, the other one is on the other side. So it makes for, <laughs> uh, for a pretty interesting story exactly. Yeah. Where so did he, did he have a copy of his birth certificate? Yeah, no, <laughs> he didn't have a copy of it. From Hawaii? From <laughs> uh, later in life. Uh, but one thing that I did find, too, is that uh, Abraham Lincoln is, is really is known as coming uh, from dirt poor beginnings. Uh, but his family, uh, like the plot that he was born on was a 200-acre plot. Uh, so it was a, a relatively big piece of land. It wasn't a very prosperous farm, what they found when they tried to farm it, that the land wasn't really great for it. Uh, but it wasn't quite the dirt poor beginnings uh, that uh, that he's really known for. Mm. 
Wow. Well, the reason I ask that is because so many people tell their children, and you know, we, we've heard this for generations, someday you can grow up to be president, but it seems like that's a more difficult dream as we go on. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's be, uh, it became, and probably around the time of Andrew Jackson, it really became uh, uh, almost like a campaign slogan. Uh, William Henry Harrison uh, really used it as a campaign slogan. To uh, he had his log cabin, uh, 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 log cabin and hard cider campaign to uh, to insinuate that he came from very humble log cabin beginnings. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. he came. He was born at this mansion uh, uh, in Virginia. Uh, so it really kind of turned into like a campaign slogan. I mean, many of them did come from humble beginnings. Uh, between. Uh, Jackson and James Garfield, who was the last president born in the log cabin, uh, uh, there was many of those presidents during that period that were that did come from log cabins. Uh, uh, but also, there was many presidents that really tried to use that humble beginnings uh, slogan uh, during their campaigning. Yes, uh, uh, unlike our president now. But uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he can get away with it. No. <laughs> But now that brings me to Thomas Jefferson. Why is he the only one whose home is portrayed on a coin? That's a real good question. I don't know if I have the answer for that. Because, uh, yeah, because Monticello is on uh, nickel. Yes. Uh, why that's the only home? It might be because it's the most recognizable of homes. I mean, uh, 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 Mount Vernon is certainly up there with the most famous of homes. Uh, but I think from looking at the two, probably most people would recognize Monticello as, as Jefferson's home as opposed to, uh, uh, to Mount Vernon. Uh, but you know what, though? Actually, uh, I know on the most recent round of pennies that they put out, they have the log cabin on there uh, uh, for Abraham Lincoln because uh, they've got several designs. Uh, so but it, but it, yeah, but, it, but it's almost like an afterthought. Um, <laughs> you know... Because we we tend to recognize our presidents on our money, and that's because you know we we have loved them for you know one reason or another. So why haven't we recognized? You know, I I know we have a you know the fifty cent piece. Why haven't we recognized JFK? Because he is like supposedly the epitome of what a president should be. Mm -hmm. Why haven't we put him on paper money? I think, uh, I mean, I'm just speculating, but many of the more recent presidents uh, aren't on money. I mean, they have, now they have the dollar coins, uh, so every president is going to get his coin. Although I think by the time they got to JFK, they realized that these dollars were just being stockpiled in the mint and people weren't spending them. Uh, yes. so they stopped making as many as they used to. Uh, now they're really almost just for collectors. They make a very limited amount. Uh, but it's possible that I think just maybe uh, uh, with the recent presidents, people are more partisan and it's a little more difficult to agree on which presidents to put on currency. Uh, yeah. uh, many of the earlier presidents kind of transcended any sort of partisanship, so there wouldn't be any question about whether Washington or, uh, or Lincoln or uh, Jefferson uh, deserved to be on currency. Right. So and now we're seeing yeah. where where some of that is being revisited, like Andrew Jackson uh, was on the $20 bill. 
and now uh, there's plans uh, 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 to change that design with Harriet Tubman being put on the bill. Now, I, I you know, respectfully, and, and let me be very careful with this, respectfully, I take issue with that. Okay. No, no problem with Harriet Tubman. I understand and I respect very much what she did and what she stood for. But why would we put Harriet Tubman in front of vice presidents? Why don't we have any vice presidents recognized on our money? Yeah. <laughs> we have. Uh... <laughs> why don't we have Mick Jaggers? <laughs> <laughs> Mick Jagger. Stop. Well, we stop have, it. Uh... <laughs> uh, uh, we have Thomas Jefferson, who was also uh, vice president, is on the two dollar bill. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. I'm calling shenanigans. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, who, who, uh, I don't know. Who's to say? Because vice presidents do a very important job. Even bright vice presidents need love too. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I feel that they need recognition. Okay. So why don't we put them on some type of money before we put a, uh, I think a, a an activist? Forget. I think people forget. And uh, just as when we look back at uh, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, all the way, we don't really think of them as the party and all the things that they've done. Um, the ones that are more recent, we think of that. It's closer. It's, yeah. So it comes with their baggage. Like, for instance, Trump right now, in two, three hundred years from now, when they're talking uh, about it, they're, most of the baggage will be gone, right? And they, they won't be talking about it as much. Um, I think people just forget. And vice presidents are more forgetful than the presidents. Yeah, because right, yeah, right now, how many vice presidents can you name um, from way back then, not just the recent ones, and uh, but yet you could still know most of the presidents. So it's probably why, just what's in yeah. your mind, you know. Yeah, but I also agree that Harriet Tubman is a great choice for the bill. So I've, uh, I've got no problem with that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that you know we recognize our presidents on our currency. However, the vice presidents kind of get shafted. They probably have stamps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll put them on stamps. Nobody uses them anymore, but that's okay. Well, um, I'm going to start stamping my email. Yeah, you get on that. Um, so, it, th th but anyway, I thought that's pretty impressive anyway, being over in Moscow and actually uh, um, meeting people and stuff. And uh, Yeah, yeah, that was a really great experience. And I really – what I – uh, did I, I, uh, I presented a paper on the history of presidential birthplace commemoration. Uh, so my book really takes like one birthplace at a time, but what I decided to do was kind of take a step back and just look at like in general uh, how we started to recognize these birthplaces over time. Uh, so it was pretty interesting to look at my own material in uh, a, a different angle for the paper. Yeah. Whose who's grave site is probably the most popular? Uh, I'm pr 
pretty sure it's Abraham Lincoln. I, I, I forget the exact number. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to take that back. It's JFK's, uh, which is at Arlington Cemetery. Uh, so I don't know the current numbers, but I know in the first three years, there was like 16 million people that visited the site. Um, wow. Uh, and that might have been before the current infrastructure of now there is like a, a little uh, trolley that you take throughout Arlington Cemetery when you go visit that stops it at Kennedy's grave site. Every time that I've been there, there's always a massive crowd there. Uh, so you're definitely right. You mentioned Kennedy earlier. He does have this incredible appeal. Uh, mm -hmm. So even to this day, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's the most visited. And then Lincoln uh, would probably be second. Yeah, and they seem to be the ones that, because even the war presidents, um, we, we don't hear as much about, you know, something about uh, Kennedy yeah. and Lincoln that stick out. Yeah, like like you would think FDR would be the most visited. Yes, I mean, well, uh, FDR kind of started a whole new pattern, because he was buried at his presidential library. Uh, so there are the visitors at the presidential library that also visit the graves, so... Uh, and have to kind of check those numbers to see where they overlap. Uh, but pretty much ever since FDR, almost every president has been buried uh, at their presidential library. Uh, Kennedy's library obviously wasn't uh, uh, completed when he died, uh, and LBJ is buried at his home, not his presidential library. Uh, but I believe every other president that has uh, died since FDR is buried at their presidential library. It's kind of become like the new standard now. Now, early in the interview, you kind of alarmed me as far as people robbing graves. Have they started providing security since then? Uh, there's, I mean, many of the graves uh, uh, after those attempted robbings did have security. Uh, that was almost round the clock, like uh, uh, when Grant died, there was 24-hour security at his temporary tomb, which was in New York City, before the permanent one was built. Uh, so there was this time when, uh, when graves had 24-hour security, especially while larger, more secure tombs were being built. Uh, now, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, of surveillance. You don't really see the guards at the tombs as much. Uh, but you're probably being watched closer than ever, even when there was guards at the tomb. When you say, um, I notice you've got written uh, critical death information. Um, what does that mean in your book? What can people get? Uh, well, what I, uh, the way that I structured both of my books is that I, uh, they're meant to be, if someone wants to read them all the way through, uh, or if they just decide to read one chapter at a time, maybe if they're going to visit one of the presidential graves uh, and they want to get just information on that president to kind of uh, 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 prepare them for the visit. Uh, and also I should mention, too, I also wrote about, uh, about where they died, like the location of where they died, where they had their funeral, where they were buried. Fifteen presidents were reinterred over the years. So I, so I wrote about any of those sites that were specific to the presidential deaths or that were pertinent to the presidential deaths. Uh, but what I put uh, in that critical information, it's more just like a summary uh, before getting into the chapter. Uh, so I have the date that they died, uh, the cause of death, the age in years and days. Uh, I also have their last words. Uh, so many of the, of the presidential last words are pretty interesting. 
what was the most interesting? Which one sticks with you the most? Uh, probably Miller's film work. That he said. <laughs> uh, the nourishment is palatable. Very, what? Very prompt last word. <laughs> uh, the nourishment found, is palatable, which means yeah. this is edible. <laughs> yeah, this is edible. McDonald's drive-thru. Uh, now, George Washington's last words were interesting. Uh, on the surface, they're not that interesting because his last words were tis well. Uh, but what I did is that I dug back more into the story with, for that. And what he was, uh, he, uh, he was speaking uh, to his assistant, and, uh, or to his personal secretary, uh, a man named Tobias Lear. And Washington knew he was going to die. He knew he was running out of time. Uh, and his biggest concern in those last hours was being put in the crypt while he was still alive. Uh, so he was explaining, he was uh, uh, telling his personal secretary, Tobias Lear, don't let them put me in the crypt until three days after I'm dead. Uh, and Tobias Lear uh, really, uh, by all accounts, he really loved Washington and I'm sure was in denial. Uh, so he didn't answer him at first. And then Washington insisted, he was so concerned about being buried alive, uh, that he insisted, do you understand me? Uh, and then finally Lear said, yes, I do. And then Washington said, tis well, uh, which was kind of like saying, okay, in 1799. Uh, and uh, so those were his last words, which I think are some of the most interesting just with the backstory. Uh, also, I tried to really go into the primary sources uh, uh, doing my research, like, uh, diaries, first-hand accounts, uh, uh, newspaper articles. Uh, and one thing that I found that was interesting is uh, so often you hear of John Adams' last words in saying Thomas Jefferson's arrived because him and Jefferson died on the same day, <laughs> 1826, 50 years after the, uh, after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, but just from going through the resources, I, or from the primary resources, I found that he did speak after that. He did say Thomas Jefferson's arrived. Uh, and even in the, in the John Adams uh, uh, miniseries they did on HBO, uh, after he says that, he closed his eyes and dies. Uh, but he actually did speak after that. Uh, was it a contest? And, uh, excuse me? I mean, was it a contest? A uh, contest? Oh, no. Well, they, <laughs> I mean, they were just... Because they, because they were, were the really two last members of, of the independence, uh, of the Declaration of Independence generation. Uh, and they had, I mean, they were so far away that it took several days for the news to travel back and forth. Uh, so this was Adam's way of saying, even though I'm gone, that, uh, that the legacy of, of the Declaration of Independence still lives on. Thomas Jefferson survived. Uh, but his actual last words, we're speaking uh, to his uh, uh, to his granddaughter, uh, and he was in pain, and he just asked his granddaughter, he said, help me, child, help me. Uh, oh. It was just interesting, and it kind of shows, like these, like these men, you're right, we kind of put them on pedestals, we put them on Mount Rushmore, uh, but in these final hours, you really see that these were, were regular people, and they were in pain many times, and... Uh, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting, kind of stripped down past the mythology. Yeah, yeah. And what have you got planned next? Now that you've done uh, births and deaths, um, 
president's sex lives or what? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> well, that would that would be a whole series of books. That would yes. Be. Yeah. Yeah, ghost stories of the president. <laughs> and they're actually, again, because there was one person that went to go visit uh, 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 Mount Vernon years after Washington died, and he stayed in the room that Washington died in. It was from, uh, 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 from Quincy, Massachusetts. And, uh, and he, had, uh, uh, he left an account where he claimed to have been visited by Washington's spirit during the night. Uh, so there are those ghost stories with the president. Oh, now you, you can't just drop me off a, a Ghostbuster off at the corner. What did his spirit say? Uh, but that's not what I'm working on for my next book, though. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. You're, you're not answering the question. What did he say? Oh, what did, oh, I'm sorry. What did he say? Oh, yeah, no, he didn't yes. make an account uh, of exactly what Washington said to him. Uh, but it was interesting because when uh, the owner of uh, uh, Mount Vernon at the time was showing in his room, he even said, he said, some people have been counseled by General Washington in the middle of the night. Uh, and then, uh, then later he left this account of Washington coming to visit him. Uh, but I don't think he, uh, 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 he left the uh, uh, exact words of the conversation, though. I know what he said. Oh. I know what he said. What was that, Al? He said, even vice presidents need love, too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See? Um, well, this is fascinating. I can't believe the amount of work you've done. There's got to be exhaustive uh, research and lots of traveling. Uh, that's just amazing. I think that um, we thank you for all the work, because these, these are great books that uh, even the Russians appreciate. <laughs> and that's important in these times. Be um, careful. <laughs> now, how do how do people get a hold of you if they, if they have some information? Uh, how, uh, maybe give out your uh, website and other information. Sure. Well, my website is www.lewispicone.com, and that's L-O-U-I-S-P-I-C-O-N-E. Uh, and as you mentioned, and thank you very much, I have pictures of of sites uh, that I visited of all of the presidents from Washington through Trump. Uh, I uh, so they can reach me from there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. They can look for Louis Pacone. Uh, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, and my author page uh, is Louis L. Pacone, uh, dash author. So if you search for Louis Pacone, you can find me uh, on those social media platforms. That's great. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, um, our so, guest today has been the President is Dead, Louis L. Pacone. Thank you for being on the show. Well, Louis? Well, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Well, I have one last question. Okay. If we create a $1,000 bill, what president is going to be on it? Uh, I think one's on there already. I'm pretty sure it's Grover Cleveland that's on the $1,000 bill. Yeah. Uh, Kevin's never been paid that much, so... Yeah, never. Uh, never seen one in person. Uh, but yeah, no. and and I think it's perfectly justified being the only president uh, born uh, in my home state of New Jersey. Uh, so I'm a hundred percent supportive of uh, Grover Cleveland uh, on the thousand dollar bill and remaining there. Well, you guys love Chris Christie. Well, I mean, 
<laughs> what? Well, that that'd be a that'd be a big ass spiel. <laughs> On that note, we sign up. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, Hosts or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>